The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into this show. Great conversation today. This is one of my favorites in a long time. I've been looking forward to getting Mike McGuire on my show. He is the current CEO at Grant Thornton. Grant Thornton is uh, one of the world's leading organizations of independent audit tax and advisory firms. Um, I've been very familiar. I know some good friends that work at Grant Thornton here locally in Wichita. And so when they reached out and asked for Mike to come on the show, I was excited because, number one, I love the company. I love the culture. And I love Mike McGuire because that is his um, passion is culture. And he b- believes that it's all about leveraging the culture to turn, to build a firm into a innovative and creative organization. You know, Grant Thornton's got over 8,000 colleagues and 59 offices across the country. And so you can imagine the challenge it is to deliver uh, a culture of quality of innovation and collaboration that produces high quality results, but uh, Mike gets it. He understands it is all about the people. He understands it is all about leadership that we talked about on the show for over five years, that it is about the people. It is about creating a culture. And the reality is you have a culture, whether you like it or not. And so you better be intentional about it and cr- attempt to create the culture that you want to leave behind, to create this legacy building um, organization or, or life. And so there is a culture. The question is, how do you create one? And so we really deep dive into this on how you create that culture of leadership. And again, it's about, I think, um, the senior level leadership focusing maniacally on communicating what they want to accomplish and why, and then communicating that throughout the organization, training everyone to think and act like leaders. And eventually what you get, uh, hopefully, is a culture of leadership that is leaving a lasting legacy. Uh, Mike is great. I love this conversation. Again, it almost goes for an hour, um, but I just couldn't stop listening and, and continuing to engage in the conversation. So I think you're going to enjoy it. It's a little longer than most, but it is power packed with tons of quality information about how organizations can turn this thing around to create this lasting legacy, to create this culture of leadership of an engaged culture where um, things are happening. And that's what it's all about. Mike is the real deal. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. All right. This show is brought to you by my leadership course, my online leadership course, Legacy Leader Blueprint. It is a great product to introduce yourself to me and to the dose of leadership philosophy. It only costs you $350 a seat. And it's a great way to get your organization, get five or 10 of your high performers and take them through the Legacy Leader Blueprint course. And I designed it so it doesn't break the bank and it doesn't disrupt your busy schedule because we're all busy. 
So there's 20 videos broken up into four modules, five videos in each module, leadership fundamentals, leading yourself, leading others, and transformational advanced leadership topics. Watch the videos in one module. Take two weeks. Have your organization, your five to ten folks, watch it. And then in between, I will meet with them virtually for an hour and a half, and we will discuss each module. So they'll meet with me four times, six hours of individual facilitation and group coaching from me, over 20 high-quality videos that's unlike anything else out there, and it's a great way to build teamwork. It's a great way to plant the seeds of leadership and start building that legacy leader within yourself and within the organization. So check out more at doseofleadership.com, Legacy Leader Blueprint. Click on the menu item, and you can learn more about it there, and you can fill out a form if you're interested in signing up your team. All right, here he is, Mike McGuire, the CEO of Grant Thornton here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Mike, I'm so excited to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. Nice to be with you. I was really looking forward to this conversation when I saw uh, that uh, I potentially could have you come on here. I saw that one of your passions is culture, a hotbed item for me, something we talk about on Dose of Leadership a lot. Um, uh, Why is culture so uh, passionate for you? Why is it such a big item for you? Well, you know, I think uh, especially today, uh, culture is very important because it, to me, it really is about alignment. You know, you talk about uh, how do you move an organization very quickly uh, and especially how do you change an organization in a period of disruption? You know, I think alignment is, is really key. So culture to me is about aligning an organization, getting everyone to understand where we're going and all rowing in the right direction. And so today, in today's environment, I believe that you have to be able to have that alignment in, in order to ultimately transform organizations. And that's really the second piece of it is get, get the alignment, everybody rowing in the right direction, allows you to transform and change an organization at pace, uh, which in today's environment, I think it's really important that, that the speed and, and pace at which you make decisions uh, it has to be uh, it, it, it has to be a lot faster. And then uh, if you do that, you get you, you're starting to transform the organization. Then it allows you to actually disrupt your industry. So I think it's part of three things. But I see at times when uh, organizations don't have the right culture, they can't get the change. They could have the CEO or the leadership team saying, yes, here, here's where here's the end in mind. Here's where we want to get to. But I can't seem to get my organization to change. Right. And uh, so I think it's foundational. Yeah, I love everything you said really resonates with me deeply, particularly the alignment and the clarity piece. And I think that really is the primary uh, focus or it should be of the senior leadership, the C-level suite. Uh, It seems to me uh, sometimes like you said, we, we focus on the culture. We want to change things. You know, we have all these great strategic plans, but there's always that gap on, on how do we execute it. And to me, like you said, that the key is the alignment and clarity piece and pushing that communication of what, where we're taking the ship, why we're taking it that way. And, we, and if you can maniacally communicate that, and I don't think you can over communicate that, then you can start the people as, as they get closer um, those, those that are customer-facing roles, those who are really making the engine work, if they can wrap their arms around it, then, as you said, uh, that's when the disruptive cycle can become uh, a positive force. Uh, I, I love what you said right there. You know, I have some friends uh, that are CEOs in the banking industry, and, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, that that's an industry that I kind of track 
because there's so many things that are in alignment. You know, we're, we're, we're a professional services firm, but there's so many things that they've done that, that I can see that, that, uh, that, that we do, but at the same time, you know, how do, how do you transform, um, you know, kind of a brick and mortar kind of business like banking, you know, to right. really the, a digital platform. You, 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 you just can't just will that on, on your people. They have to understand how it gets there. I remember my mom many years ago, she's retired now, but she was a, she was a bank teller and she came home one time in the 1970s and she said, my job is going to go away. Why? Why? Well, they've come, our, our bank is installing these ATMs, you know, and, uh, you know, she retired at, at, at age 65 from the bank. And, and while they had ATMs, she still had her job, but, but her job had to transform. And my mom to this day, she's in her early eighties. I mean, she, she is very technology adept. I mean, it's, she's fearless, but she, she changed. And I think it's a good lesson that, that, it, that what, what they did is they kind of got wrapped around technology and they got everybody from the bank tellers and everybody up in the small bank. They were able to do that, and and the, they're you know they're still in business. So uh, even though she's she's been long retired, but I think that's you know in any industry, I think that that cultural change uh, to to move it is uh, is going to be. Uh, I, I just think it's it's mandatory at this point. Some people think that culture is kind of frou frou an initiative at a day, and okay, it's something will go away. But I think it's it's actually hard business it makes business sense to do it it's it, because if you don't i don't think you can move uh, move at pace like i said earlier i agree and uh, i mean what's the old adage you mean cold treat strategy for breakfast i can't remember who, who attribute that to but i mean it, if you don't have the culture you don't have anything i mean you can have the best well-laid plans the best strategy but if the culture isn't there and people aren't bought into it it's just going to be you know a, a, a nice powerpoint presentation at a, at a quarterly meeting i, I don't know how you can get anywhere of of significance without having without investing into the culture because that's where where the people um again will get excited and do anything and be willing to adapt to the chaos which is inevitable by the way i mean it's I mean, it's it's learning how to thrive in that that disruptive chaotic environment and the only way that you can do that is if people know um, where they're going, how their role fits into your grand vision and they're excited about it. And then that's how you get the empowerment, the decentralized decisions and all that. I mean, there's no other way around it. I just, I don't know. I, I just think if you don't have a culture, you don't have anything. No, I think that's right. And, um, you know, one of the things I always think about is, you know, we have, uh, and I, one thing I love about Grant Thornton is, is we have a very talented, diverse team and uh, and I think that I liken it to being the my job is like being the conductor of a symphony orchestra, yeah, right? Right. And uh, any individual in the orchestra, I mean, they're playing different instruments. They have different backgrounds. Uh, and how do you get them together to understand to make beautiful music together, right? And what what do you want your brand to be of your orchestra? And what do you want the culture of your orchestra to be? Because like I say, you, you could have your, you know, your, your first chair violinist, you know, be a prodigy and you, you could have your seventh grade music teacher playing, you know, the triangle and a, a guy that's uh, out at a jazz bar really late until two o'clock in the morning as one of your saxophonists. And how do you bring these people with uh, diverse talents and thoughts and backgrounds together and, you know, not have a cacophony, you know, it's a, how, how does it, how do you get it? 
uh, aligned to make beautiful music together. So I always try to think about that. And what you have to do is you have to appreciate each individual and what they bring to the table, the talents that they bring to the table. And the way you manage the first chair violinist, you know, is going to be different than, than the, the saxophonist who walks in 10 minutes late, you know, uh, uh, to, to the rehearsal. And, and uh, you know, you, you've got to know you can't you just can't treat everybody you got to know how to uh, how to motivate them and bring them all together so it's uh, so it works i love that i mean it makes makes perfect sense i mean obviously you you've gotten to this place you've understand the the concept of leadership that seemingly a lot of people uh don't understand that side of it the culture the people piece um trying to orchestrate this uh diver- diverse symphony understanding that there's not there's not just one way of leadership that's going to affect everybody you got to communicate and let let people come up with the solutions on their own you got to decentralize that decision making it sounds like grant thornton is or at least that's the type of culture that you want permeating throughout grant thornton how did you get there i mean if i look back at you in the mid-70s there at bowling green state university as you're getting your accounting and uh mis degree what was the dream for you then i mean did you think you would was it your always always your goal to be um a ceo of a, a large accounting firm no, not really. I, I, I didn't. I really actually, to be honest, didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even understand what a, a, at the time a big eight accounting firm was. I, I it was a funny thing that just I, I'm, I'm where I am by absolute happenstance or serendipity. Uh, I had uh, somebody on my floor in my dorm at Bowling Green whose brother actually uh, took us out to dinner one night. He was going through Bowling Green and picked this up and uh, he really impressed me and, and he actually worked uh, for Pete Marwigan Mitchell was, was the name of the company, but it, it's part of K, it's KPMG today. But, you know, I was so impressed with Kim Baird uh, that I, I actually it was already taking accounting because I wanted to get a business degree. I wanted to go to law school and I, I was doing well in accounting. And when I met Kim, just by happenstance, uh, I changed my major to accounting, even though I didn't know what a big eight public accounting person was. And, and, uh, so I was very fortunate to have that. And I, I had a, uh, an early mentor, uh, the, uh, the chair of the accounting department of Bowling Green was a gentleman named uh, Park Leathers, uh, Dr. Park Leathers. He's, uh, he's retired now, but I still keep in touch with him. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he was great. I mean, he looked out for me. I could tell he cared, uh, got me into internships and, uh, and, uh, you know, he had spent his, uh, career uh, early before he became a professor at Arthur Anderson. So he kind of talked a lot about Arthur Anderson. And so when I went to interview, I, I went to work for Arthur Anderson and, and uh, I loved it. And uh, it was just one of those things that, that really fits me because every day you do something different. I've been doing this now for 36 years and I don't think in any two days in a row, I've ever done the same thing. I meet new people, do different things, meet different clients, uh, you know, talking with you today uh it's just uh it just suits me uh well so uh, I, I love it I, I look forward to to going to work every day and uh and and it's it's inspiring to me to, to be a part of the organization here at grant thornton yeah i can tell i can see that i can hear that in your voice and, and i'm wondering if is it is it uh, um an interest in uh the opportunities of working with people is it is it the numbers game what is it what drives you you know, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, those, it's a lot of factors. I, I think one is, uh, I, you know, we work with a lot of young people. Uh, you know, we, we're hiring, you know, thousand 
you know, young people off of various campuses with various skills. I mean, they're, they're all so smart and talented. It, it's, I think, I don't know, our average age in our firm is probably 25 or 26, I think. And so, so every day I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, our senior folks uh, have uh, just a ton of experience and, and uh, I learn from them every day, but it's, it's, uh, I think that piece of it is working with people. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopelessly curious. Uh, curiosity is uh, being curious is actually one of the foundational principles of our culture, and uh, I, that just uh, you know every day uh, trying to solve a new client problem or a business challenge or or whatever is uh, is really interesting. I, I couldn't come in. I would be very difficult to live with uh, if I came in every day and did the same thing. So. You know, I think it's meeting new people, as you mentioned. I think it's solving new challenges, learning some. I learn something new every day, every day, and it so it satisfies that uh, that curiosity. I'm a I'm a lifelong learner, and uh, and I love to meet people, and I love to uh, uh, interact with people that have ideas, and and uh, you know, to me, solving problems is is not something to be afraid of. I think it's something to, uh, that, that's uh, actually inspiring for me. So it's, it's really the combination of, ha- and, and you know, we have our culture. I mean, we have a lot of people, you can walk down the halls at Grant Thornton and people, I mean, I, I can put three or, so I can put probably three or four people together and have a hundred years of, of working together pretty easily by just walking down the hall. So, right. so we are, um, you know, we do stick together and uh, it's a long-term kind of a place to be. It's, it's like family. And so it's like my second family. And so, uh, so I love it. Well, I think you hit something right on the head that having that in um, that humble, teachable spirit, having that insatiable curiosity, I think those are um, traits of any, uh, of a great leader or, or it's kind of mandatory for leadership. I think to have that insatiable curiosity and that, that humble teachable spirit, how do you get people to be curious? I, I, you know, I've had that question posed to me and it's like, well, and I'm the same way. I'm always got to learn something. I always got to find something. I mean, I can sit there and if if I'm watching a movie, I can go and I'm going to learn about that old actor. And then I can, I can spend 30 minutes going down rabbit holes, clicking on links, just learning about, you know, I originally was learning, to find out when Cary Grant was born. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm learning about, you know, um, quantum physics. Somehow I got there. I don't know, you know? And so it's just that always that, 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 that curiosity factor, I think is, is, is critical to essential leadership. How do you get people to be curious? How do you get people to have that humble teachable spirit? Well, to some extent, you know, uh, you know, I, I debate this with myself and others you know, is, is curiosity. Is it nature or nurture? Yeah. And, uh, first of all, so, you know, one of the things that we do is we, you know, we're intentional about hiring, you know, we want to, we hire to our culture, we hire to our culture principles. So, you know, we try to, uh, you know, to evaluate people based on, you know, curiosity. I actually think you can see, uh, curiosity kind of rises to the top when you kind of, if you look at somebody's background resume, whatever, that uh, you can see the things that they're interested in. I'm always interested in what people are interested in outside of work. You know, what kind of hobbies mm. do they have? Uh, you know, I uh, one of the things I'm interested in right now is making cheese, you know, and, and <laughs> the whole science around cheese. You know, you start out with soft cheese and stuff. I really have an account to be interested in cheese. Well, I like cheese, but, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I've got uh, – 
on the uh, board of visitors over here at the Johnson and Wales, where we chair, we, my wife and I co-chair uh, the Epicurean Society. So they, you know, you can get, you can go take classes around cheese making and stuff. But <laughs> you know, I, I, if I just like what you just said, I, I, I was reading an article over the weekend about the the largest uh, essentially bomb, nuclear bomb ever to be released in the United States was in South Carolina. Okay. And uh, <laughs> believe it or not, it, it didn't have the nuclear warhead in it, but it blew this big hole and, you know, and, and it's kind of this, uh, I think it's like the 50th, I don't know how many year anniversary. Well, I immediately went online afterwards and started researching a little bit about it. You know, just like you just said, you just hopelessly want more information. But, uh, you know, I think we hire to it. Um, and uh, and I and we encourage it. You know, I, I I think that that it's okay to to uh, experiment and and fail. You know, I mean, you're not you don't you're not going to fail on what you deliver to your clients. Obviously, quality is so important in our organization. But how you get there and how you you ideate and uh, and 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 bring the right people into the room with diverse views is really important because. You know, curiosity is only, you know, if you're one person is curious, you get X done. But if you surround yourself on a team that has five people or seven people who are curious, they build off that curiosity themselves. So one of our culture principles is how big is the team you're playing on? And what that means is whenever we're trying to solve a problem, the first thing we look around is do we have the right people in this room? Who's missing? You know, whose point of view is missing? And uh, even that piece of it, building that team is an exercise in curiosity. Mm -hmm. Let's think about what we're trying to solve. Let's be curious. Oh, you know, we need to have somebody that has this background or this point of view or whatever. And so we bring, you know, we, you know, it's not like we have a cast of thousands, you know, for everything. But I think that, that, that we support curiosity and then people have ideas and sometimes they sound like a good idea and, and, you know, fail fast or design thinking is something that, that, you know, we like to think in a blue ocean kind of a way, but, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta know when it's not going to work and put your pencil down, but it's not something that is, uh, you know, is you're not punished for failure like that. It's it, what we want to be able to do is reward people for innovation and creativity and say, Hey, look, everything's not going to work. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to find a better solution if we experiment. And I think that's a unique uh, uh, characteristic, especially in a professional services firm or an accounting firm. I think that, uh, that uh, you know, it, it, it certainly lends to uh, adding value to our clients. Yeah, you know, I want to emphasize that point because I think a lot of times people miss that. I love what you said because there's a subtle but very powerful difference between organizations that um, – embrace a problem solving process or they embrace an innovative process and the only way and what you just described is the difference or what we should be doing is celebrating the innovative process to challenge us to opportunities right so so often we try to uh, I've seen in organizations I've worked and some that I've coached with is that they they get so enamored with kind of a rigid problem solving process right let's every challenge let's you know, go through these five why process or everything else and document it and do this. And it's, and it becomes kind of a, a regimented trying to put everything in the box. And what you're describing to me is, you know, it, it's almost an artistic approach to, um, your challenges and your opportunities. That's where the innovation comes in. And it, it, does that make sense? What I said? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you can, you know, you can get, um, you know, the, 
I like to say, you know, to me, culture and, uh, and, and, or I'm sorry, uh, a culture of curiosity is very important, but curiosity and courage, in my view, have to go together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because, you know, if, if you're just sitting around being curious all the time, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, you're, you're never going to get anything done. You know, you spend your time kind of in the age of wonderment and trying to think about, you know, what's, what's going on in the world. What you have to do is you have to be able to, to, to execute it. So the, you have to have the courage to be able to say, okay, you know, we're being curious here at some point you got, you know, <laughs> you've got to make a decision and, and say, well, let's test it. Right. And, um, and, and I think that a lot of times people, you know, that, that, that ha- have to go together. I think if you don't have the courage enough to make a bold decision and you're afraid of failure, then, uh, you know, curiosity is still always going to be good, but you're not going to move the needle in my view. Yeah. Well said. I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. They go hand in hand. You have to have a culture where people feel empowered to make decisions. It's almost like, and I've said this on the show and, and, and again, I got this from being in the Marine Corps where it was a culture of, where you were rewarded for asking for forgiveness instead of permission. Now, when I say that, a lot of times that scares a lot of people because they think that that means that people are just going to be making these haphazard decisions. However, if you do the work up at the higher levels of communicating, like you said, the the what it is you're trying to accomplish and why, and people are bought in, they understand how their role feeds into that, they know that their role serves a, a bigger purpose Then people seem to make more intelligent and, uh, or at least decisions that, that feed into that intent anyway. And if you have that decentralized process in play, then you can get those courageous decisions made at the lower levels, which is, it sounds like that's what you're trying to create or you have created and trying to create and promote at Grant Thornton. Is that true? Yeah, we are. And, and I think that, uh, yeah, it is. And I, I think you know it, it. It becomes kind of a process, and uh, and and I think it's important that our people continue to read and get outside views and 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 meet people that they normally wouldn't meet. Uh, I, I think about you know solutions that we've had in the past just because of uh, because of the team that we have and people having a different uh, a different. Uh, perspective and uh, but but you know I think there's there's got to be some courage around that too to to be able to uh, to say hey why why don't we give this a shot or or, or you know maybe and, and really kind of challenge the conventional thinking and you know when you embrace that as an organization it just kind of gets this momentum that frankly you know I, I I sit back and admire my teams all I mean every day I just find these. I hear these stories and see these emails of them succeeding and solving a problem that they never, people would have thought, you know, would either take a lot of money or a lot of time to solve. And they came up with a creative solution. And sometimes it's just about just get started. Right. And, uh, you know, you can't perfect is the enemy of the good, right? I mean, you can't get something. If you get something that's, that's 70 or 80% there, go ahead and execute it and bring the team in. And then it starts to build on its own. And then you've got something that's, that's worthwhile to a client, but you know, you're not going to be just cautious and care, or careless. I mean, and, and, uh, and, and like you just said, I think you've got to, it's got to be within a, a framework, but, but, uh, but get on with it. It's kind of our, you know, I'm one of the things uh, that we're, we're, we, we are really about here is, uh, you know, our, our brand is about status go. And if you, if you've seen that it, and what that really is, it's, it's the combination of disrupting the status quo 
with speed. That's the go part. Yeah. So changing the status quo with speed is, and most people don't attribute speed to, uh, you know, to an accounting firm or consulting firm or professional services firm, right? It's and so that's one of the things that we're doing. That's that. So status go means you know we we have a bias to action. Uh, with speed to solve client problems or to solve problems that, you know, things that we're dealing with internally. And I love it because I get, you know, I get these emails from people that are on a team and they've decided they're going to move forward and do this and, and they're breaking new territory. And at the end of it, it's, they'll, they'll say status go or, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, it, it's kind of motivating to them to say, you know, you're free to kind of put the pedal to the metal. I mean, in an age of transformation, you know, sitting around and, and, uh, you know, waiting for years to do something is, uh, you know, can be very detrimental to your organization. I love that. So you got to change your, you know, we, we call, you know, you, you ultimately, uh, uh, you know, you just got to change the way that, that you think um, and, uh, and, and, and you got to change the way the entire organization thinks. I love that. I mean, it, it, I, can't, I can't, so many things you said resonates with me deeply, particularly this kind of what I call the 75% solution, you know, use, you're never going to have all the information to make a perfect decision, you know, use, you get 75% of whatever you think that is and use your in, intuition, your experience, your expertise uh, to fill in the other 25% and pull the trigger and see what happens. You're far better off. Uh, making those sound and timely decisions, and I th- and I put a hard, large emphasis on timely, and I think that's where because if you have time, if you make those sound and timely decisions, and you're making those decisions based on that seventy five percent solution, you are a more nimble uh, organization. You're going to get to your objectives. Uh, it may be a crooked line, it may be a jagged line, but you're going to get there quicker. Whereas if you're trying to, you know, make things as as linear as possible. It's just you're you're probably never going to get there, if, from my experience anyway. And so I love that status go yeah. thing that that does promote the, hey, let's 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 keep the ball moving forward. We know what the intent is. Let's make a decision. Let's go. And I, you're right, making decisions that are based on on timeliness is so effective. And I think it's something a lot of organizations miss. You know, they they want to focus on the sound decisions. I th- I contend that you know we're taught in school that we're, we're taught to make analytical decisions. But I think at the end of the day, uh, it's our intuition that, that really pulls the trigger. And we need to learn how to harness that and embrace that. As in a pilot, I, I can't tell you how many times intuition comes into play. And uh, again, you're talking about a profession that, that demands a lot of process and procedures and, and techniques and tactics. At the end of the day, a lot of times uh, what uh, it's intuition that drives a lot of big decisions in aviation. And I think it's the same in, in any organization. Yeah. Well, I think it's Sully Sullenberger, right? You yeah. You probably, he probably, I don't know if he trained for much of that, uh, you know, on the simulator. And, uh, and I think if you think about back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, outside experiences that you get and people that you learn from outside of your industry, I think it's really important that you, you know, how big of a team you're playing on is how big of a team you're playing on internally, but how big of a team you're playing on externally, because at the end of the day, that's really what, what drives it. And the fact that Sully had a, had a hobby of, of, uh, of flying gliders, right. I'm not sure that every airline pilot does that, that that experience uh, certainly uh, of one of his hobbies certainly uh, saved a lot of lives that day when he had to land on the Hudson and and you know I, I would tell I would encourage everybody to be a Sully you know and uh, you know what 
be curious and what do you learn? You know, it's interesting. We were talking about curiosity and you were, you were saying about, you know, how you, you go in and you dig deep after you read something that interests you. I, I, I tend to go, uh, I go directly to people, uh, and this gets into the, 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 the fearlessness or the courage. I'll give you an example. I read an article in, in HBR and, and it was about collaboration and collabor. And this was uh, an academic study around collaboration. Uh, and the, uh, the Harvard professor, uh, her name is Heidi Gardner. And in collaboration, we have our, our global, we call them our clear C-L-E-A-R-R values. The C is collaboration. And it fits right into our culture, what we're trying to do. And so she was wrote this article and, and some of her research around collaboration. Well, you know, I emailed her. And uh, she and I have, have built a, a friendship. And uh, I actually had her speak to all of my partners at our annual partners meeting a couple of years ago. And she just she wrote a book. It's been out now for a little while uh, called Smart Collaboration. And uh, and, she, and she really can, she, she uses this evidence of two different lawyers. And one had a very wide network and one had a very limited network. And, and this is all research driven. But, you know, the one that had the wide network that outside and inside the organization was far more successful. I mean, it, you know, it sounds logical, but she backed it up with academic research. And uh, it's really kind of uh, it's kind of interesting. But, you know, I, I, I now have, I believe, heavily in collaboration. I think if, if you looked at a word cloud around Grant Thornton that our people would, would, uh, would build collaboration would be one of the biggest words around our organization. So, but again, you know, you, you read an article on HBR, you engage with the professor and then she comes in and, and, uh, you know, talks to, uh, you know, our, our whole team, you know, that, and, and that happened in a very short time frame. but, but, you know, you can read, you can read an article and put it down and not do anything with it, or you can pick it up and, engage with the author That's right. and, uh, and, and really learn even more, more about it and have a deeper level of, of learning around something that is very important to us and so important that's in our global values. You know, I think there's, a, there's an interesting point or a nugget there that I think people need to, need to, to grasp. And I agree with you 100%. And um, I guess some people would say, well, yeah, you're, you're the CEO. And of course you would do that. And of course she would respond to you. But I would, t- I would say to anybody out there, um, if you have that insatiable curiosity and you take action to your point, uh, it's amazing what can happen, right? I mean, how many, it's just, I can say the same thing about this podcast and people say, oh, well, how did you get so-and-so on the show? And, and I'm not being flippant when I say this, I say, I just asked. And it, it I, yeah. one of the big lessons I learned from doing the show is, is how willing people are, uh, to be able to talk to you about whatever, you know, whatever you're curious about, but you just ask in an honest and authentic, genuine way, not in a salesmanship way. And you'd be surprised at what, what you can find out. And and your story just reinforces that you're absolutely right. I can't agree with you more. How many opportunities do we miss because we don't, we, we doubt ourselves about pulling the trigger on, like you said, sending an email to this author and, and you never know what can happen. Yeah. I'm curious about the, um, I, you mentioned some of the, um, I guess, values or the tenets of your culture. I mean, I wrote down uh, obviously curiosity and courage. What are they? Can you list them? What are the kind of that make up the backbone of your culture? Do you have them published anywhere? 
Yeah, we do. I mean, we do internally. I mean, there are, uh, you know, about 21 of them, I think, that are, we, we call them our culture principles. How big of a team are you playing on really gets into, you know, diversity of thought and making sure that we're solving the right problem. You know, one of them we have is called shadow of the leader. And, uh, and that, you know, that means, you know, what kind of a shadow are you casting that, that as a leader, mm. you know, people engage with you in a lot of different ways. And if, if you, uh, you know, it, 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 that, that one is very important. We, we have one that I, I really like too, called the mood elevator and, uh, you know, the mood elevator, if you want to, it, it goes every way at the bottom floor of the mood elevator is somewhere where you don't want to be that's uh, depressed at the top uh, of the mood elevator. The top floor is grateful. And the, the the middle uh, the middle floor where you always want to try to get yourself to, to is curious. So if you're if you're you know angry or whatever about something, you know you've got to step back and say, uh, okay, where am I on the mood elevator? Let me get to curious. And so so we we ground ourselves at curious. Uh, mm, and that. and and so what that means, rather than being judgmental about something. Is like saying, well, well, why? Let me understand. Help me understand that their point of view, right? And instead of immediately, you know, I think we're stuck today, you know, and we, you know, it's always all over the news. You know, it's we're in a we're in a little bit of an environment of right or right and wrong, black and white, yay and nay, for and against, you know, and everybody is like lines up and and on on both sides of a battle, and you you know, I I I, I think that for the most part. You know, people are, I pick a number, 90% of people probably agree on, on most things. And there are going to be things that they, you know, whether, you know, look at all the political environment we're in, you know, but instead of saying, you know, for or against, you know, pro and con, you know, all those kinds of things, let me understand their point of view. I, I'm not going to try to convince them over to my point of view, but if, if I understand where they're coming from, I appreciate, I mean, I try to surround myself with with people who who have completely different points of yeah. view than I do, and I and I like to kind of coax that out of them because uh, you know you sit back and you say, okay, well I, I see what I you know I may still not agree with it, but I, but I don't I'm not being judgmental of them, and I think you can get a lot more things done. So that's what we always try to say is you know if if people are on for and against, if each side would try to get the curious to understand it. Then you know I'm not saying that you're going to move it all the way up to grateful, but I tell you what, it's a place, it's a good foundation to be in because you don't want to be below curious because that's frustrated, uh, you know, and, and gets down to uh, you know being defensive and and ultimately being depressed. You you always want to be at, at curious, but punching a button on the mood elevator that's 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 moving you to an upper floor, not a lower floor. So I think the mood elevator is. Uh, you know, is, is a big one. And, uh, you know, we have one called 20 square feet and, and that means that, you know, it's, it's a little bit like the shadow of the leader that you can really influence a lot of things, uh, that are just right around you and how you conduct yourself and who you do integrate, uh, and work with, uh, and, and, and making sure that you understand kind of, you know, where, the, where the company's going. And, and, uh, so a lot of these aren't necessarily, we have one called the accountability ladder that, that really gets us into, you know, how are we accountable for what we're, what we're doing and, and holding people accountable and accountability is not, you know, a stick. It's, uh, it's actually, you know, you're accountable to each other in, in the organization and how do I help you? So, 
you know, those are a couple of good, a couple of examples of, of our principles, but you know, you don't, you don't really focus on just one, no. you know, in isolation. I, I think a lot of these, in fact, I have have all of our culture principles laminated beside my phone here because whenever I'm talking with somebody, I, I'm always thinking, okay, where's the coaching, what's a coaching point that I can get across uh, here uh, using one of our culture principles. So we're, we're constantly teaching to it. And, uh, and, and we, you know, we even have kind of slogans around it. Uh, you know, one of, another one is called the focus on your purple chip. And that means uh, purples are our corporate color, but it's like what, what it, everybody has dozens of things on their plate, but what is, what is the one thing that you really need to get done to, to move things forward? And so we actually incorporate that into our, uh, our goal setting process, you know, it's, it's great that we can, you know, people want to do 15 or 20 things in a year, but, but what's the one thing that you really, you know, you really need to get done uh, and, and you want to hold yourself out to be evaluated on. It's a little bit like probably the simplest form. It, it's a little bit like, you know, in college, you know, if, if, if your final, if your final uh, uh, test, is 75% of your grade, right? Or, you know, you, you better, you better do well on that <laughs> right, one. Right? Because, right. And that's kind of the way our, our concept of purple chips works. It's kind of like, well, it's nice that you got all these other things done, but you didn't move your purple chip, right. you know? So, you know, that's the way we operate it, but we, but we have a common language around these principles. So it makes it very uh, teachable. Oh, I love all that. I mean, so many great things that you said in the, in those principles. And it, it, it's exciting for me to hear uh, as an organization as large, and, you know, and that's the challenge of large organizations such as Grant Thornton. You know, you've got people all over the United States, all over the globe. And it's just how, how do you get people going in that right direction? And for me, the only way you do that is if you embrace this kind of common sense leadership culture and everything you talked about there. It's nothing cosmic. It's nothing unique. They are principles that have existed since the dawn of man. But we got to remind ourselves, I do every day. Uh, and, and I live and breathe this stuff, but you got to remind yourself, right? That, that look, keep it simple, get it back to the basics. And sometimes those, those basics are difficult. Just like the example you gave right there on that moving the purple chip. I mean, w- we feel like we're accomplishing something if we're getting a to-do list done, but it's really not a to-do list. It's about a priority list. It's getting your prioritizations right, you know, and, and um, yeah, so many great things you said there. I think, you, I think you're just hitting the nail on the head uh, on when it comes to, um, planting the seeds or cultivating the seeds of a leadership culture. And I, I just wish more organizations would embrace a leadership culture. I think they want to instinctively, but they just don't know how to get there. It sounds like Grant Thornton uh, is well-established and well on its way to to, to cultivating and, and harvesting those seeds of leadership throughout the entire organization. Because I think just like in the Marine Corps, where they teach everybody to think and act like a leader, it sounds like that's what you're trying to do there at Grant Thornton. Yeah, you know, and the way we operate, I mean, our people literally, no matter what they're doing, have, uh, you know, they always have an opportunity to to lead uh, and and to have an influence. Uh, you know, all of our people, everyone in our entire organization is a brand ambassador, right? It's the way they conduct themselves in, in accordance with their culture, the way they own problems and solve problems. I mean, you know, I look at it as, you know, we have... Uh, you know, our receptionist, right? I call her our director of first impressions, right? If she's having a bad day and, uh, you know, a client comes in or a prospective client or somebody comes in, I mean, she can have a either a very positive impact on their experience or a very negative impact on their experience. You know, it's like somebody answering the phone in the organization. Are they 
curious? Are they just like, you know, saying, well, you know, Mike's not in, see you later kind of a thing. Or they're like, well, Mike's out, but I know he's going to want to talk with you. And how can I help you, you know, and, and have him taken ownership of that. that that's the, uh, that's something I'm just so proud about Grant Thornton is all of our, I call them teammates for a reason. I mean, it's a large organization, but it's a large team that deeply cares about each other and, uh, and wants to help each other. It's not, you don't find people in our organization say, well, sorry, that's not my job or, you know, um, you know, I, I think I, I would take it back, you know, when I when I was growing up, my dad owned a, a grocery store in a small town and uh, we had five kids, but there were three boys in a row. We were we were nine, 10 and 11 when dad bought the grocery store. <laughs> so he always did it because he had cheap labor and he could feed <laughs> right. us at cost. But uh, but he you know, we had we had responsibilities in the store. And uh, one of them was we had to fill the milk case before we got done with our shift. Well, you know, if my younger brother was working the shift before me and he didn't fill the milk case, I wasn't going to say, well, we're just going to ha- not have any milk and, you know, and have customers not have milk and want to go to another store. I mean, you know, it, that would have hurt our whole family. I just would just say, okay, he didn't fill the milk. I'm going to fill the milk and do the right thing for the organization. And I'll handle that with my dad and my brother afterward. But, you know, you got to take care of the task at hand. And so, you know, I look at that and, and that whole, we had a very good team at our, at my dad's store I, and I played team sports. And that's really one of the things that I'm very proud of our organization, even though our organization is massively larger than my dad's little grocery yeah, store. Right. You know, that, those, I, I was curious as to whether, how, how could you get the kind of team environment in a large organization? And my, my theory was you could do it through culture and alignment. And, uh, and I, I'm very pleased with, I'm so proud of all of our teammates that, that you can, you can do it at scale. I mean, I, I'm convinced because I see it, I see it every day in our organization. Yeah. And, uh, obviously it's easier in a small organization, but in a large one, you know, you, you've got to have those foundational principles or you kind of, you know, it's hard to have the, the, it's hard to have the passion in, in an organization if you don't have that alignment, that culture and having people who deeply care about each other. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tantamount. It's it's the only way you can get eight thousand people to, uh, you know, go in the same direction is is you. You have to be the one communicating and celebrating the culture, or at least you know, guiding the culture. It has to. I think a lot of times people, you know, you focus on what got you there, and it was your. A lot of times people think it's your your technical and your tactical expertise, but that that's a given. I mean, if you make it to the C level suite, I mean, we're talking about human behavior now. You got to be the expert at right, and that means you've got to be constantly working on it yourself, and then you got to be creating that culture, like you said. It's about human because now you're you're talking about human behavior, right? It doesn't matter what you're selling; it, it's getting yeah. the, it's getting the human behaviors right, yeah. and that's when you get the human behaviors going in the right direction. That's when you create sustainable organizations that have a legacy and, and that's what you're doing. And, and, and I just love everything that you're saying just makes me so uh, you know, ex- excited. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I think, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, it is, it's behavioral. I mean, you can hire, I mean, there are, there are a lot of, you know, CPAs and consultants and everything, you know, in, in the world, you know, or chartered accounts or whatever it's, you know, who, who is on your team and then how do they behave in alignment with their culture? What makes us different? And uh, what does it mean to be with Grant Thornton? And that we, we use the word intentionality a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
uh, and I think that that is, you know, it, it, intentionality says, I'm going to put my, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my mind to it. It's going to be my purple chip and we're going to see it through and we're going to get it done. And, you know, I think you, you know, with the Marine Corps, same kind of thing, you know, and the, the military has, you know, it's their mission driven, right. And, and the success of the mission and working as a team to get things done. And, you know, I look at these SEAL teams and how they operate. And, you know, it's really interesting when you think about a SEAL team. I mean, they have all kinds of different backgrounds and different skills. I mean, you have a, you've got a helicopter pilot, maybe you've got, you know, you've got somebody that is an explosive expert, you know, you've got somebody that may be a language expert and, you know, all these people come together as a team and, and achieve great things. And, and that's, that's really the way we look at it, but it's, it's the behaviors and making sure that, you know, even if something is, you get a curveball thrown at you in the middle of a mission, uh, it's, it's how you adapt and That's how right. do you trust your team and how do, how do you work together to be able to, uh, to continue your mission and, and, and be successful. And I think there are a lot of analogies that, of that, you know, with, with the way we, uh, we operate our business. And if you have people that you can't, you don't know what their behavior is going to be or their behavior is going to be you know, variable day to day for whatever reason, it's very hard. It's, it has a negative impact on the team. And, and, and frankly, you know, we hire to culture, but we also, you know, we fire to culture as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you've got to make those decisions. Those, those are, you know, that's kind of where culture is, uh, is really, uh, is really driven, uh, is, is if you've got people that aren't, you know, you have the toughest part about culture is when you have people that are getting really good results, but they, they get them the wrong way. Right. And then what do you do about it? Right. right? Just turn your head and say, well, that's, you know, that's just, we'll just have to get such good results. We're going to ignore it. Or, or do you live to, you know, do you actually make decisions toward your culture? And, and, uh, so it, uh, that's the hard part. I, I hope you don't think that any of this stuff that I'm talking about is easy. It's that's not, why we call it a culture journey hard. because we're on it all the time. No, it's you know? hard. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it has to be something you do intentionally. Like you said, you hit it on the head. I mean, intentionality has to be be the cornerstone you have to intentionally remind yourself this is what we're doing and why because it's easy to go down rabbit holes and it's easy to get you know seduced by numbers oh well you know he's a top performer but man he's a jackass you know but does it support our culture right and that that's hard to make those particularly in the short term you know every everybody's looking for the short term you know this the short-term results can produce some amazing things but if you, you got to play the long game right and the long game produces sustainable legacy organizations you know ideally you want the organization to continue to flourish and grow long after you're gone and so it's hard to remind yourself to play that long game you know it is for me anyway because it's great it, it is you know i spoke i was speaking a couple of weeks ago at the university of illinois to the students in uh in the in the business school accounting program primarily but and the professors you know were there and i and i was talking about they were i was taking questions from them and I think one of the professors actually picked up on that long game, you know, is it, do you have a lot of pressure on the long game, you know, versus your short term results? And, uh, you know, I, I, I think you do. I, I think it's easier for us being a, you know, we're a private company, we're a partnership. So, uh, but, but at the same time, you know, you, 
you've got to be focused. It's it's a little bit of a, you know, the one of the professors kind of cornered me a little bit afterwards. The guy that actually asked me the question, the professor asked me the question. And he says, you know, it's, I said, don't take this the wrong way, but some of what you're talking about is you're kind of, it's kind of the old fashioned way of doing it. And I'm not saying it's old fashioned, meaning it's outdated, but people don't think t- there's so much pressure on current earnings and things is how, how do you, how do you have a strategy? You know, a strategy is, you know, is, is a long-term, you know, it's a, it's a, you have to have your, your vision and you have, to, it has to take place over a long period of time. So, you know, you have to commit to it. So, you know, we have a long range strategy and a long range forecast for our business and you got to lay it out and say, this is where, this is where we ultimately want to go. And, but I think people today, I don't know why, I, you know, maybe it's just because of the, you know, the, uh, you know, social media and every, you know, everything moves, you know, so fast and things like that. But, you know, I think we all got to step back and open our aperture to what the longer term vision is. And I was being interviewed not too long ago and somebody was talking about, you know, we're talking about Charlotte and uh, somebody had said, you know, what, what can Charlotte do to, to improve? Cause a lot of good things about Charlotte, but I said, you know, we, we need a vision and a long-term strategy. And I said, there's there's a big debate in Charlotte about a toll road, you know, and I said, you know, everybody's locking in and for and against and, you know, pro and con on the toll road. But to the toll road to me is one tactic. What we should have is a, a 25 to 50 year transportation vision that includes the toll road, includes interstates, includes light rail and other kinds of transit. You know, you and then if you have the big vision, say this is what we're trying to accomplish over 25 or 50 years where we want to be on a transportation strategy then the toll road makes more sense, right? It fits in. But if you do the toll road on its own as a tactic and don't tie it into a long-term vision, then people can get, you know, tunnel vision around it and lock in and start fighting over it. And I'm kind of like, you know, we have so many more things to accomplish than fighting over a toll road. You know, you've got the (laughs) long-term vision strategy and that's kind of the way I look at our, at our firm. You know, I, I, uh, I tell my team all the time, I care about everything deeply, but I don't care about any one thing that much, which means I don't like lay on the tracks issues. I think you got to, you know, you've got to look at both sides and compromise sometimes. I mean, you know, there's things you're not, you're not going to compromise on and, you know, some principles, but I think you got to look at it and, you know, everything is not a lay in the tracks issue. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, you got to look at it and say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to get, Sometimes you're willing to move the ball 20 yards rather than 80 yards or go, you know, go for a, a touchdown. I mean, maybe sometimes just getting the first down is, is, is good enough. Yeah. So it's, it's hard though in today's environment with the, the pressure for, you know, you know, instant success. For sure. I'm looking at the clock here and I, we're coming up on an hour. I rarely have conversations that go this long, but it just shows how, um, spot on you are with so many things that we talk about here in dose of leadership and the things that i uh, inherently believe um, you're the real deal, Mike. I'm I'm excited to to speak with you. What's what's next? What are you excited about with Grant Thornton as we wrap up here? Well, I I, I tell you, I am so excited about where our firm is. Uh, you know, I believe our our strategy. You know, we're very strategy oriented, long term uh, vision. Uh, I see a lot of the things in our strategy that's that's really working, and uh, and and working on a lot. You know, working on it you know, foundationally and, and with a sustainable model for, a, for, for many, many years, uh, we, we've, uh, you know, we've really, I, I did a speech at the, uh, at my annual partners meeting and I would, I used a house, uh, metaphor. And I just said, look, 
You know, it's like we bought a dilapidated house that needed paint, needed landscaping, but it needed foundational repair and a new electrical and plumbing and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we spent the last three plus years doing all the things that, that, that don't, that aren't, aren't, you know, apparent, right. In terms of, you know, the house still is pretty ugly on the outside kind of a thing, you know, and it still needs paint, it still needs landscaping, but we have a solid foundation. We've got all new plumbing, electrical, the whole house is, has been built on a foundation of sustainability. And now we're putting the paint on the house and we've got the, you know, we've got the landscape and now it's beautiful because, and so the metaphor is really around the outside of the house, which is a metaphor for our brand. So I'm excited that we spent, you know, we're spending a lot of time now on really building our brand. Uh, you know, we signed up uh, Ricky Fowler uh, on the P PGA tour and the players championship. And, you know, we, um, uh, we hired Diane Swank as our chief chief economist. So you know we've got a lot of things going on on the brand side. But but you know we were maybe a little Johnny come lately on the on the brand side because we were spending all of our money on building our technology foundation and the things that may not like I say may not be apparent to everybody else. But that's really what I'm excited about. Is again we did it on a long play, uh, maybe a little the old fashioned way, but now. You know, we are very, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're really poised for what I call it. We're poised for a, a breakout. And um, and that's kind of that's what really gets me excited. So, you know, we're really all about right now, you know, always quality is important to us because quality is our brand. And uh, and then we're moving and leveraging that into aggressive growth and innovation. So growth and innovation is my uh is my mantra right now and uh i believe that we've got the stru our structure of our organization is very flat to make agile decisions and our culture is very collaborative uh to uh you know to be able to be aligned and, and move it forward so you know in the three things i said I, you know we've been focused on three things culture transformation disruption and we've got the we've been on our culture journey now for six years. Our transformation is essentially done, and now we're in the disruption side, which is why I'm going. You know, I'm talking about growth and innovation, and I think our organization is uh, is is really uh, poised to be able to uh, to break out. And that that just, I mean, I get so excited. I wake up sometimes at four in the morning. I'm so excited that I'm ready to go to work. You know, and uh, I usually go back to sleep, but but I I, I really. I wake up with excitement and I, and I, I think that, um, you know, what, what keeps me awake at night is opportunity and, uh, and, and the excitement around opportunity that, you know, we don't squander it, that we take advantage of it. And we actually lead, um, and lead in innovation and disruption of our industry and that our people have an, a massive amount of fun doing it and really feeling like they're part of something special and because uh, they are. And uh, I, we can only do it because of the great team that we have. Well, I can tell, I can sense that. I mean, obviously I, I would be excited to, to, to work there. I could if, it imagine if, if people um, knew and understood the culture that you're trying to uh, create, I think it would be a great place to work. So I, I commend you and my hat's off to you uh, as one of the CEOs in my opinion, that truly gets it. Um, I, I deal with a lot of, of organizations that, that don't get it. And, uh, you sound like, 
And it seems like to me, you're just one of the ones that truly understands the foundational concepts of leadership, of culture, of believing in people and creating an organization uh, that's all about innovation, thriving in the chaos and, and uh, asking for forgiveness instead of permission. And I think that is uh, a recipe for sustainable success. And so thank you for coming on the show. It's a, it's been a true great privilege and honor. And uh, like I said, I'm running up an hour. Uh, I could sit there, I could, there's two hours of information I could sit there and talk with you more. So I know I appreciate you being a leadership junkie like myself <laughs> and, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been great and uh, certainly hey listen uh, you know we're, we're always taking people so uh, get your resume updated <laughs> <laughs> okay. all right Mike. we actually do you know one of the things i'm very very proud of our organization is that when we hire people we you know we hire a lot of people on campus i mentioned earlier but we hire a lot of lateral hires and what i think is really remarkable is when people join us uh they 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 uh, they actually, other people will join us because of the experience they had. And, you know, so it, it lets you know that it's, it's real. We don't have people who join us and turn around and, you know, quit six months later and say, you know, this is just, you know, all uh, smoke and mirrors. It's, it's really part of the organization. And, and then they stay for a long time and it's just great. I, I love watching them. So it's, it's fun. I mean, I'm, I got the luckiest job. I have the best job in the world because I just get a chance to sit back and admire a team and just watch them succeed. And it's a lot of fun. So, Enjoyed it, and uh, have a good rest of your day. All right, Mike. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.